0: Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we assemble to explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, one minute at a time. In this, our sixth season, we are looking at the Avengers. I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast. And I'm Pete Wright, and it's no monologue
1: Monday, what?
0: (laughs) Today we're talking about Minute 85, which begins with Coulson taking charge and ends with the cage plummeting toward the Earth. Joining us on the show today and for the next few days, we have playwright Dean O'Carroll with us. Hello, Dean.
2: Hi, guys. Very, very happy to be here. Great to have you, Dean. Yeah, it's been so nice to revisit this movie, which I, I which I, I, I truly love. I, uh, I, I'm, I'm pretty much completely uh, swallowing the Kool Aid on the, the whole MCU, but, uh, <laughs> uh, but this one, this one, I sort of because it was, you know, now relatively early on. And you sort of feel like, like, oh, well, yeah, they, they hadn't you know, gotten it all together yet. Uh, and then I, then I, I, I revisited even just a few, a few minutes at a time. Like, oh, yeah, no, this movie's really, really fun. And uh, I really do, I uh, <laughs> really do love it. So it was, it was so nice to, uh, to check it out again.
0: Well, we're thrilled to have you, and, and new to the show, too, uh, which is great. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I think you, we, we always like to start off this, uh, this thing with wondering, is there any particular reason that you ended up picking uh, this set of minutes this week? I
2: was trying to remember. Um, let's see. I know. So I do have a, a one minute coming up that I think is very appropriate for me. Um, this one, uh, we were just joking before we started recording that uh, you know I'm here as kind of a comedy guy, and here we have <laughs> the saddest minute in the movie uh, to start off with the saddest thing happening to like the nicest, most lovable character. So it's an odd choice for me, uh, a guy who's uh, who's a, a, a comedy playwright by trade, to uh, to start with this, uh, but. I might just pick it because it's such a, a dramatic moment, and such a, a a memorable moment. Um kind of a turning point in the movie, and, and debatably in the uh, the MCU itself. Then, um, uh, uh, yeah, I'm just you know, it's 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 good stuff.
0: Coulson's last stand. It's a it is a good one. And oh, so here's a fun question: uh, Do you think, in the line of who belongs as an Avenger and who doesn't, would you like? where does the line fall for you? I mean, is, is Coulson and I mean, even like Fury Hill, are they strictly agents of shield? Are they also Avengers? Like, is there a Venn diagram where kind of they cross over? Like, how would you kind of uh, delineate these characters?
2: Gosh. Uh, I would not call them Avengers, and it's probably because, you know, somewhere within me, there is an eight-year-old boy who's saying, like, they're not wearing costumes. They don't get to be Avengers, you know. Uh, <laughs> That's where I, I am, too. Yeah.
1: Like, yeah. They're, Coulson's in a suit. The suit is clearly on the non-Avenger line. He is an agent <laughs> of S.H.I.E.L.D. Maria Hill is wearing the leathers. Yeah, she's the one that exists in in that liminal space, the leather suit liminal space for me. She's wearing the leathers, but she never leaves the ship as far as we see her in this movie. So that I think maybe she's an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. She's on that side of the line, but very close. Fury? No, he's not. He's not an Avenger. He's he's the boss. He does everything else. Well, he's not in a suit either. Right. He's not in a suit, but he is also in leather, Sandy. He's got that leather jacket. <laughs>
2: Right. I mean, the, the eye patch sort of drifts towards like mask territory. So, <laughs> yes, A little true. more sort of I- iconic That's true. appearance. No, and of course, also, you know, because I'm, you know, uh, movie movies all about bringing me back to my childhood and my love for, for the comics that, you know, I, I can still remember the official handbook to Marvel Universe and who was listed as an Avenger in a little grid of all the headshots of, of Avengers uh, and, uh, and you know, Nick Fury certainly helped him out in some Avengers, but also uh, Adventures, but he was never considered an, yeah, right, an event. Right. Th- that being the original, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, cigar-chomping uh, White soldier. Temple. Guy. Yeah, yeah, right, yes, right, yeah, right. Soldier, yeah, Soldier, yeah. Soldier for
0: sure yeah it's such an interesting line though it's like you know why i mean as we've been joking before it's like it's not like they get an official badge welcoming them into the team of avengers so it is kind of funny and it's it's one of those things where it's like well you're an avenger if you call yourself an avenger or yeah and, and so but i i don't know it's one of those funny things and i just like you know i like the fact that colson is here he's wielding a ridiculous weapon that's designed from the destroyer and and he's you know facing an asgardian with it and i'm like yeah but he's not an avenger (laughs) you know what's
1: so great about him though is that he wears the the suit he's he's got the suit and tie and he's the the nerd right like he's the fanboy nerd and yet the way he's written and the way he is clark Gregg performs him he gets to be a badass here, right? Like his final moment gets to be
2: one of power. And I, I was thinking when I was watching this for today, like, oh, is this the first time we really got to see him do anything action? Because he'd always been, you know, even among shield agents, he was like, you know, the guy who seemed to be involved in like scheduling. And uh, yeah, and uh, don't get uh, and, d- you
1: know. Dean, don't get Andy started because there is a whole like sub a conversation that we're going to have to have about Coulson falling downstairs uh, almost and not looking like he's in an earthquake <laughs> enough. So right.
2: and I, I certainly, you know, I thought of Clark Gregg as a comic actor before this. The only thing I think I knew him from was new adventures of old Christine, where he was, you know, kind of a fairly, fairly clownish character. And that, and was great. I think he's a really good actor and he can do lots of different things. And I looked it up and there was that uh, Marvel one shot short that was packaged with maybe the four DVD. Um, of uh, uh called a funny thing happened on the way of Thor's hammer, which is a, a Colson, where he uh stops a robbery at a gas station. And so there there he is. You know, you do see him, you know, fighting and doing hand to hand combat and stuff. So that came out, I guess, a few months before this. So um so this was not technically the first time anyone had ever seen him being uh being active and uh, and involved, uh though I don't know how many people actually would have seen. I, I didn't see it until I got Disney Plus.
0: Yeah. yeah. Relatively few. Yeah, those one shots, they certainly Uh, gave him well that one shot gave him a little more to do and then obviously by the time uh, he gets through this phase he gets to jump into agents of shield and he gets plenty of time doing action and clearly i guess what they learned from this is they love this character the audiences really enjoy him and this is one of those moments you know we on this show we generally call our our uh, fair director of this uh in honor of the army of the dead switcheroo. But this is definitely a trope that he uh, does in his films where, I mean, and stories where take a, a beloved character, and especially in this film, like really build him up scene after scene with more reasons for the audience to love him. And he wow, he is so much our audience surrogate, I can't stand how much I love him, and then kill him. And it's just it's something that uh, really pulls the rug out from under you, and the, and the old uh, Loki switcheroo that we get here, where Loki is the one who, uh, with his magic, suddenly appears behind him and and drives the scepter into his back. I mean, it's it is a pretty shocking. It plays it plays. It, I mean, it plays well. Absolutely, yeah. Watching it just now where i see on the
2: small screen so maybe i didn't see enough detail we don't see the uh the point of the spear coming out of his chest right
0: correct we don't
2: so we see so we just see the camera just pans a little bit and we just see, suddenly see loki standing behind him with the, the the spear right up uh in his back so that means that shot had like no special effects at all it was just actors and props yeah and and it's it's this really powerful moment and it reminds me i was thinking oh you know one of the best moments in the in the original star wars is star Vader force choking uh one of the uh, imperial and that's no special effects at all that's just one actor holding his fingers together another actor pretending to choke and it's it's so <laughs> fantastic and you know and uh so, so I, the, that was the, a sudden connection that i uh, i made watching it uh this moment that you know it's uh the, the power of it was not required any uh anything fancy
0: well this is a cinematic trick that, i mean you know in our other movie show the next reel we've talked about this cinematic trick quite a bit as far as like filmmakers who purposefully designed their frame where if you're not seeing something within the frame that it kind of doesn't exist in context of the story it certainly happened in Raider or in the indiana jones films steven spielberg uses it a bit we just were talking about it with uh, peter jackson and the lord of the rings trilogy And here we have this moment here where nobody can see that Loki is standing, uh, well, nobody, particularly Thor, can't see that Loki is standing directly behind Coulson with the scepter ready to plunge it into his back until it's in his back. And it's one of those cinematic tricks that, uh, again, to your point, it is a very effective tool in directing a scene in a way where you don't have to do any effects, you don't have to have anything special, it's just... Tom Hiddleston and the scepter are already there, and it's just the way that the camera moves to reveal them and it, and it creates that surprise. Um, but it is kind of one of those things that I do always wonder I'm like, where's the magic in all of this? Is, is, is like Loki invisible behind him until the scepter is already in him? Like, how does, how does the actual working of it, uh, play other than the film? making of it
1: because what we know of loki right of the the magic stuff that we've seen in uh at, when they were at the auction The Symphony Auction House Bow Before Zod (coughs) sequence um, is that he can he he can project himself, but there is still one solid Loki. So are we to imagine that the Loki that's having the conversation in front of Coulson, that Coulson's pointing the mysterious destroyer weapon at, is a fake Loki and the Loki behind Coulson that we don't actually see until... Later is the real Loki, or is Loki somehow just moving really, really fast?
0: Well, he, we do see the the one in front of him slowly disappear after he's been stabbed. So it, it so the one standing out there is, is the fake one. Is the fake one?
2: So presumably, the fake one would not have been able to operate the panel that opened the doors to dump Thor out, even though he had just been delivering the you know uh, you know I'm about to kill you speech. Um, yeah, that's 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 interesting.
0: Well, and he doesn't have that, that one doesn't have the scepter either. And, and so, but this, this also really, more than, more than Stuttgart, this really, I think, plays into the moment in Thor, the Thor film, where they are on Jotunheim and there is a frost giant charging Loki who's standing there and Then the frost giant flies through Loki and plummets off a cliff. And then you see that Loki is actually standing behind a, uh, I don't know, an icy crop uh, outcropping or something and makes this other version of himself disappear. But we had seen that that was the original Loki first. So I think there has to be some capacity for Loki to disappear himself while keeping a artificial magical version of himself in that exact same spot and then moving somewhere else, and then reappearing. Like, that's, I don't know, it's the only way that I guess it kind of makes sense, because otherwise, it does I don't get it.
1: I'm telling you, as many times as I've seen this movie, I've never seen him disappear. I've never seen <laughs> him disappear until just now. And I was about to come at you hard, because I thought you were seeing things, but it was me not seeing things.
2: In the Disney Plus series, he does get into, like, some of the specifics of, his, of the, the particular spells he can cast and the way he does it. And it's like, oh why is that there why why did they include that did, did they feel the need to define these things a bit more to uh, <laughs> yeah uh yeah or or did they just want you know <laughs> feel like loki should be monologuing about something at this point fascinating yeah right yeah. right yeah oh speaking of stuttgart if i go back just a little bit that that is a scene i wish i could have done because i i have i was fortunate enough to get to uh to work with uh, the actor ken tiger who plays the old man uh, oh, in great. that scene Nice uh, oh, sure. yeah, he's, yeah, yeah. He's a he's a, a great actor. You know, he's been been in, in things for years and years. Uh, great, you know, great, just you know, working actor. Um, I knew him doing Summer Stock. You know, he was a guy who would you know do a few TV guest appearances every year, make a perfectly good living from it, and then like go and get to do a play he really wanted to do it in, in Summer Stock during the summer. Um, so yeah, he's uh he's he's very cool. He's, uh, he's a he's a fun guy and and uh, nice to work
0: with. That's fantastic. Yeah, we had a great time talking about him and reminiscing on uh, uh his days as the uh the head of the bomb division in the lethal weapon films where he pops up in <laughs> sure a couple happens. of those movies yes. so yeah
2: <laughs> i i met him and i met his uh, his husband uh, who's a screenwriter and uh, he mentioned one of the movies that ken was in was um uh just one of the guys uh coming oh, from, from yep. the 80s yeah uh and i I laughed in a way which I think sounded a little bit dismissive. And then, you know, his, his husband, said, you know, you know I, I wrote that movie. And It's like, oh, no, that I failed. <laughs> oh. like a year later, I got to I sort of apologize. So he said, oh, no, that's fine. I, I explained that it really was just that I made that connection before that i instantly remember the scene because he plays the teacher of the good you know the premise is the this girl guy herself as a boy to right. you know do it you know, like an, an article for the school paper or something and that uh early on he says to the girl as a creepy teacher like yeah you're a pretty girl you could be a model and instantly i i, I thought of that <laughs> and then so yeah so i was lucky that i was able to unembarrass myself by having a good talk that i was you know um <laughs> well, that's awesome <laughs> Yes, and he he told me that it was uh, he was I think one of multiple writers on that, and that it was his idea to actually have her uh, when she reveals herself to her love interest in that movie to actually flash her breasts at him. And uh, and I, I said, well, you have pre-adolescent and pre-adolescent boys all over the world for the past 40 years. Thank you for that moment. Right?
0: <laughs> yeah. So funny. That was one of those movies that I probably saw a lot when it was on HBO because, uh, you know, the summer's just laying around the house. It's just like, oh, this movie's on again. <laughs> yeah. Yep. That's very fun. The other thing about that I did want to bring up about this is this is the point where Loki suddenly does have the scepter. We don't see the magical Loki have it here, the one who we thought was the real one who just dropped Thor out of the— or who's getting ready to drop Thor out of the bottom of the ship. So I guess this is a question that—how um, does he get the scepter out of the wishbone lab? At what point does that happen? Um, I'm not exactly sure, like, he's been in here, did this mercenary, I mean, I guess what could have happened, although it doesn't make a ton of sense, because, I mean, Hulk and Thor have just been destroying the Wishbone Lab. Last we saw, you know, Bruce was holding it, he put it back, and then the whole place blows up. And we kind of lose track of it. and But then Hulk and Thor end up kind of back in the wishbone lab, through the floor, smashing the place to pieces. The dropship has come down and, uh, you know, was shooting at Hulk. And then Hulk, you know, ended up off the ship. Right before this is where we see Thor run to the detention center because obviously he thinks something's happening with Loki. But it does make me wonder if this mercenary that's here... Had been waiting or something I just don't know exactly how the scepter Got from there to here
1: Who it, it, Like the mercenary made off With the scepter from the Like somehow he snuck into the wishbone lab
0: uh, I guess I mean uh, it's, it's never explained And then he no. would have to have gotten it Either before Hulk and Thor Start destroying it yeah. Or after they've left But then if it was afterward He'd have to race Thor to get here in time And that doesn't make a lot of sense.
1: That doesn't make sense either.
0: I don't know. Now I feel like I need to go back to those scenes and see, do I see the scepter laying around? Yeah. Yeah. Because the last time I saw it in anybody's hands, it was banners, right? Yeah. Right. Exactly. And we
2: don't ever see Loki having any ability to sort of conjure it or like summon it the way the Thor can summon Mjolnir, right? No. He does have to just pick it up with his hands. Yeah. Anytime he wants to use it. Yeah. Exactly.
1: Exactly. Unless, unless part of his magic is he's he essentially teleports himself there, picks it up and teleports back.
0: Well, I mean, that is, you know, as he says in the Thor film, he has access to these back doors. So, you know, it's entirely possible there was some way that there was some backdoor thing that he went through to get in here and, and grab it. He's all about those variants. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Who knows? It's uh, it's it's just one of those tricky things that I, I think that they kind of just gloss over, and the fact that you know, oh, he just magically appeared back here, and he has the scepter. So it's just like you, they just kind of write it in a way where it's like you know, you just kind of assume that somehow magic worked. You know, you got a magical character, and it's it's easy to write, um, maybe a little too easy to write things off.
2: I mean, I suppose it didn't even really have to be the scepter for this particular. Act. It could have been any pointy object, you know, and to the back would have, yeah, would have would have taken him out.
0: Well, especially with Loki. I mean, this is a this is a character who's always conjuring blades and throwing them at people. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. It would have made. I think it would have made more sense. Well, I guess they just needed to get the scepter back into his hands so that he has it for later.
1: And the moment, so what, what happens next in this minute is the, you know, he, uh, I, I made the joke that this is a non-monologuing minute, but I actually really like this. I think this is a, a a solid way to handle this particular sequence because Loki, real Loki, now has the scepter and he is, Thor is visibly upset um, and angry enough that when he slams his hand on the glass of the cage of the, the cell, he's able to crack it and Loki Opens the the purge hole at the bottom of the of the helicarrier and without a word pushes the red button. And I think that's a that was a smart choice here, that we have no sarcastic lines, we have no smart ass remarks, we have no there's no nothing. It's it's just a look between these two performers and the purge. Uh, I think that's a really nice touch. And I think to the point of the scepter, having Loki holding the scepter is a final poke in the eye for Thor, that it's a statement that I won. Uh, I won, I got what I wanted, Hulk's gone crazy, he's destroying this helicarrier, and now, excuse me, you're going down, I'm going to go get in a jet.
0: It's an interesting moment, the way that it plays, and, and it is, I, I do, to your point, I like that it is dialogue-free between the brothers, as Thor realizes what's happened, they've, they've exchanged these looks, and Loki's just ready to do it and ready to drop Thor. And this is yet another instance of the two of them doing things to each other as only brothers can do. I suppose. Yeah,
1: like this is one of those. Is there anything left to be said? Moments. Yeah.
2: Well, I mean, Loki did get his quip. They get. You know, they think we're immortal. Let's test that out. Yeah, right. For this, you know, when he possibly in illusionary form was just about to do this, he did have the uh, the one liner. Um, and uh, in my notes, I did I did say like, what is he thinking? Do I need to come up with another zinger before I kill my brother <laughs> now? Yeah, right. Right. Or or, uh, or do I do I just press the button?
1: But but after the death of Coulson, I don't think there is room for another. Like emotionally, in the beat of the scene, there's no room for another zinger.
0: No. Yeah, I don't think so. That that does make me laugh though, and think like if Coulson hadn't interrupted, and this was just the conjured version of him, he says that line, and then he's just like, just just wait one second, and. While I wait for the real version to get back yeah. here, so that <laughs> he, he can push the because I can't—I don't have <laughs> fingers. <laughs> I, I,
2: I have a few alts uh, for that <laughs> 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 I'll, uh, run well. uh, Oh my gosh! Always hopeful that maybe his—you know—Loki will turn around. Maybe he will—he will see the light and, and not do this. You know, uh, up until the last moment, even after he's killed Coulson, it's—it's still there. I um. I I I like the more ridiculous you know clown Thor that that he evolved into and Hemsworth obviously he's very good at that but I I I did like the uh, the, the more serious and and, and noble Thor uh, of the, these uh, these first few movies too before he uh, he got, got quite so clownish um, you know, and that's much more the Thor that I, I grew up with that I uh, that I did love
0: right the one that when they would write his dialogue it was all the flowery lettering yeah <laughs> yes yeah yeah right. Yeah, right. <laughs> Just a note about this weapon that he's holding. Actually, I have more about the weapon. I want to talk about it when uh, when Phil actually gets to use it. But I did just want to say, I was, I was curious. I'm like, is this, because we, we've been talking a lot about Phase 2 and how, like, all this Hydra, um, this Tesseract technology that Hydra had been developing is what is part of Phase 2 and that the design of it is to protect against these aliens and things that, you know, as, as fury, you know, he kind of points to Thor in that earlier conversation. And so I was wondering, does this weapon, that was designed from the destroyer, does it actually count as part of phase two, or is it something else? And according to the wiki, this is actually part of phase two. The way that they encapsulate all of this is that they say phase two is aimed to develop new technologies capable of offering humanity some incredible defense in the face of threats on the level of the destroyer or the abomination. So, Hmm.
2: Does he say that it's taken from the destroyer, or that it started building it after they had to
0: deal with the destroyer? He says that uh, we started working on the prototype after you sent the destroyer, but the wiki okay. actually breaks that down a little more. And, uh, you know, when, when he uses it, I have kind of all the stuff written out as far as, like, what the wiki says as far as, like, how they were, what they were doing and stuff. So
2: Now, theoretically, since the Tesseract was asleep for 70 years, anything that they've built from Tesseract tech has have been built relatively recently, right? Unless they were just repurposing, you know, scavenged hydratech from World War II.
0: Well, when we see Captain America bring the weapon in yeah. uh, earlier, it is actually an old weapon from World War II. Okay. Um, okay. But that doesn't mean they're not working on other things. It's just, for some reason, at this point, they're not. It just seems like they they want to be. They're trying to figure out the Tesseract. That's a, that's a story issue I have, because clearly uh, Zola had already figured it all out, and he was already creating... A lot of weapons with high, with Tesseract uh, energy. Uh, why is S.H.I.E.L.D. taking so long to figure this out, especially since Zola and Hydra are kind of a uh, part of S.H.I.E.L.D.
2: Yeah. So you have to wonder. So was, you know, when Zola was, you know, was working for S.H.I.E.L.D., was it always like, hey, why haven't you built us this tech, This tech? And is it the answer? Like, I can't because the Tesseract is asleep uh I, I could, you know, do everything but except whatever the Tesseract could give me back in nineteen forty two. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I don't know because I mean they don't it doesn't take that long to get the Tesseract from the bottom of the ocean, as we see in the end of Captain America.
1: Yeah. It's actually and, quite easy.
0: Yeah, right, exactly. And so I don't know if I mean if it is asleep or exactly what what is going on with it, but it's just they don't do anything with it. They kind of you know put it away And it seems like they forget about it until, I mean, there is that brief bit it has with the Flurkin and everything in the 90s. But otherwise, it's like, I guess it's in a box until uh, Puente Antiguo in the Thor movie Mm -hmm. when they realize, hey, we better take that thing out and start doing something with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the timeline's a little, like, as needed, sort of, you know.
2: Yeah, and I wonder if we're ever going to be told, like, oh, you know, here's why it woke up in... 2012 you know uh is there you know we have uh, some outside forces acting on it like oh you know now it's time for it to wake up because now it knows earth is actually ready to uh you know the, the age of heroes has begun or, or whatever it is you know they, they could uh, throw any number of possible explanations for uh, for that if, if they felt the need to
0: that's true yeah who knows <laughs> who knows well this minute um we do see Thor dropping again. I love the way that, like, just all of all of the CG creations of this cell falling through the ship and then falling out the bottom of the helicarrier and just kind of dropping. And it kind of goes silent, other than the sounds of wind. I mean, it's just great the way that they put all this together. You definitely see the shot of the coast below, which is kind of cool to see. It does make me wonder as I'm watching it: Is Thor going to hit the water, or is he going to hit the land? Could be either. It's kind of fifty fifty at this point.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, Andy, the last time we talked about the hole in the hull uh, was when they were just... It was the the Fury Tour. And you expressed some uh, concern about the ultimate design of the hole in the hull. Is it better in action now that you see how it works?
0: I don't think I have a specific issue with how it works. I mean, what we see here is kind of like that, the iris Uh, floor Mm -hmm. i guess it must be toward the bottom of the ship right i'm assuming and then it has the 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 cell has those rails that it just kind of slides down and then then falls out the bottom and we don't see it from these shots unfortunately but when we first saw when fury was looking at it, it it looked like a series of catwalks that people could potentially be standing on they're in totally this hallway exposed and they're all exposed like you know if, if this thing opens they're just going to get sucked right out the bottom and that was i think the biggest concern that i had is that it's like i don't know how much that really makes sense but
1: yeah well and if it lands while somebody happens to be walking around hopefully they would know but there's just a lot it feels like the way when they give us these these exterior interior exterior shots it feels like there's just a lot of exposed underbelly that that they're showing from these close-up sequences like these actual action sequences that when you're looking at the at the you know when the ship goes invisible you're looking at a big wide shot of it in in flight you can't see like i have no clue where to actually position this purge hole in the bottom of the ship when we're looking at it on a different angle
0: well we see it like it it comes out um and it's like Next to, I guess I would say next to, it's just kind of to the side of what looks to be the, I don't, I I guess it's not necessarily the wishbone lab, but it could be the, the bridge. The bridge is right there at the bottom because you see that hole, like right about second 56, you can see the hole where it comes out. Um, And it's not centered. Like my brain always said that it was centered, like along the central axis. I guess it might be centered uh, you know, kind of across the ship, but it's not from front to back.
1: I see the hole. Yeah, it's you're right. It's not centered, and you could, but you can see all the exposed gearing underneath the ship. What happens to that stuff?
0: I think that's. I, I don't think that's exposed gearing. Well, that's either the wishbone, like that that entire hole where the wishbone lab is. Um, and it's all windows or because you can't tell from this angle or is that kind of the bubble of all the windows that that makes up the bridge that
1: makes up the, the underbelly bridge? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's still weird. I'm not letting go of that.
0: It's the, the whole design is weird. Again, they've got giant holes in all the windows. They can't land in the ocean now. I don't know how they're going to fix all this. <laughs> because <stuff>. they <laughs> shot themselves. <laughs> so yeah. What are you? So many things with this thing, but yeah. all right. All right. Well, Thor is falling. Loki is is happy. He's dropped his brother. That's pretty much where this minute ends. So let's wrap things up. We'll be back tomorrow with you, Dean, to talk about Minute 86. So uh, thank you so much, first of all, for joining us here today. Absolutely. So glad to be here. Tell everybody about what you do in this, this world of, sure. uh, of writing plays that uh, might tie in in some capacity to, to this. <laughs> they just of might, by, <laughs> by staggering quizzes. Yes, Yeah, so
2: I write plays mostly, but the plays that I write get produced by uh, like high school and middle school drama clubs, you know, uh, and you know summer camps and community theaters and, and, and so on. And sort of the niche that I've carved myself is writing parodies of big uh, pop culture franchises. So I have um, uh, a few plays that parody the Harry Potter books, and I've got a Star Wars one, and... Uh, um and a a parody of uh, of back to the future um and sure enough, what a coincidence! I do happen to have one based on the uh, the Marvel movies, and this one in particular, uh, and it's called Marvelous Squad. The full title is uh, Marvelous Squad: A Superheroic Tale with a Vengeance, um, and uh, yeah, and so it is. It is a parody mostly of, uh, of the first Avengers movie, though I do uh, use scenes from um, uh, from uh, from, uh, from some of the other early films too. And then uh, there there are cameos by uh, pretty much everybody who ends up being an Avenger by the time of like a, a Endgame uh in there and uh, yeah so i i do have uh an equivalent scene to the the death of colson uh where uh, uh my character is sort of a mix of colson and uh, uh and maria is named piper uh because of the old expression that exp- um uh, relaying exposition is called laying pipe, and so since that's uh, sort of her, her her job in the play, and uh, and she does she does not die, but um, but my, my version of Nick Fury named, whose name is Nikki Fitz, uh, she uh, you know realizes that this is a moment to try to convince the heroes that uh, Piper is going to die and they need to avenge her. So it, 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 uh, it's it's a bit of a Monty Python, I, I'm not dead yet. Yes, you are. Type of moment. Uh, in, in oh,
0: so fun! So fun. that's awesome. Well, we will have links to uh, all of Dean's socials and sites, and you can check out his play there uh, in our show notes. So just check those out uh, in your podcatcher, or if you're not seeing them there, you can go to our website, marvelmovieminute.com, and look at it all right there. That's it for today. We'll be back tomorrow with Minute 86. So, Pete, thanks as always. Mandy tomorrow, more catwalk. Hmm. Until next time, true believers.